Welcome back to the Panty Personals, your escape room from all the repeated horrors of the daily news. I'm Panty Bliss, Queen of Cable Street, and with me in the parlour today is a man who, much like Madonna and Beyonce, gets by on just his first name. It's musician extraordinaire Dahi, who crosses Irish trad and culture with techno pop and house music. He had a viral hit a few years back, making his 90-year-old granny Mary Keane telling the story of her young days and falling in love with synths and bass. But more about that later. In the parish of Valley Vaughan, County Clare, where he's from, he's known as Dahi O'Droni, one of the dronies, steeped in traditional music. His grandfather was Chris Droni, the well-known concertina player. But while Dahi was playing the fiddle as a six-year-old, somewhere along the line, he picked up the bass guitar. And later, when he dipped into digital tech, a very electronic Irish star was born, rooted in the sounds and culture of the West of Ireland. He's twice Choice Prize nominee with his own work, but he's also got a side hustle with Bill X One's Paul Noonan performing as the House Plants, and they just got an odd this year for their recent album. And over Paddy's Day festivities, or Paddy's Week, I guess these days, <laughs> um, Dahi broke the dry spell of the endless lockdowns by performing before a flock of 30,000 in Dubai with the legendary Clare fiddle player Martin Hayes. Dahi. Thank you. Hello, how are you getting on? I'm good. That was um, a great intro. You really covered everything there. Yeah, well, well, that's, <laughs> I do my best. That's what we do. Um, nice to finally get to chat to you because, uh, you know, you've been on our hit list for quite a while. Talking about the whole, you know, the beginnings mm. of the whole uh, Dahi phenomenon, maybe. Because um, you're, um, we, we have some things in common. Yes, we we're, do. we're both culchies. We are. We're both from right small towns in the west of Ireland. I'm the child of a, the local vet. Mm-hmm. Like, you are deeply steeped, soaked, dripping in in <laughs> trad, really, music, aren't you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. My family would be a kind of a quite a well-known traditional Irish musician family. Chris, my grandfather, who who recently passed away, was one of the great concertina players in the country mm-hmm. and uh, was a really, really amazing musician. To be honest, when I was younger, there was no real option to do anything but pick up music you know it was kind of there was no real like you know oh do you want to play music or something it was like okay well you have to pick an instrument which instrument are you picking you know I picked fiddle my auntie-in-law was like taught me fiddle from from a very very young age I was learning traditional Irish music the whole way through in a way that felt like a yeah a chore or you you, yeah, you, you loved like, it honestly it was you know one of those things I think most kids will experience at some point where they kind of pick up an instrument and they kind of they're kind of forced to pick it up and they kind of have to go to that class every week and yeah. that kind of thing you know and I didn't have a massive amount of interest in it at the time and then I went to secondary school and uh, I started playing in these bands with like mates of mine and stuff like that and I was playing bass guitar and then I went to boarding school for two years and I basically hated boarding school really didn't like it at all it's like really sports orientated and I had no interest in rugby or anything like that. That's another thing we have in common. Yeah, right. I you went to boarding school as well. To boarding school. Yeah. Mine was not a rugby playing board school. I went to okay. Gormanston in County Meath. Right, okay. Um, yeah. Sort of no longer there as, as a rugby <laughs> yeah. It yeah. is deeply GAA. We weren't allowed to play what they considered English foreign field sports. Really, yeah. So no yeah, soccer, yeah. no rugby. Yeah. And, and like, so, so like my, my one was Rockwell College. I had kind of decided to go there because I was like, oh, this would be great. It'd be like Hogwarts or something like that. You know, that's what I was kind of thinking. And it really wasn't that. So being in a band in that boarding school was like one of the most rebellious things you could possibly do. 
I used to always like laugh even at the time of mine. <laughs> the parents, they would come in the front, which had these like sort of ornate gates and a, and a lovely drive. And there Amazing, was like, even yeah. like some golf poles <laughs> along the way. And that's what the parents thought the school yeah. was. But we weren't even allowed out that side of the building. Yeah, you yeah. know, that was just for the priests. Yeah, we, we had like yeah. a lake on our side and everything like that. And, and like you come in and like the main halls are these huge, big hallowed halls. And there'd be like pictures of the principals from years and years and years back and oh, everything. That does sound quite Hogwarts. It was really... It was, yeah, but as like a kid, I was just like, oh my God, I, I so shouldn't be here. I was like, this was really not right. But the blessing in that was that I had nothing else to do but write music with, with friends. And like, we didn't even have a band room. We'd have to like break into a room and they'd let us off and like, let us play there. And like, I did nothing but play music for like two years, just nothing else. And at that time, was it all modern, you know, music, rock or pop uh, or whatever? Or? Yeah, I was wearing a leather jacket and I was listening to the Libertines and we were doing like indie music kind of stuff. Okay. The so Cribs y- as well. You weren't, you know, picking up your fiddle and doing no, yeah. gigs in Rockwell. Yeah, so so then like just at the end of that, I discovered a thing called a loop station. I'm sure you know what a loop yeah, station yeah, is, yeah. where basically you kind of record loops over and over again with an instrument. And I picked up the fiddle again there because you can do so much with a violin, you know? Like a violin has these big, long bow sounds, so you can make almost like these synthesized long sounds. You can pluck it, so it has these like little staccato-y rhythms as well. So with a loop station, you could create all these. And then when I got to college, I was in college in Connemara, we did TV, radio and journalism in Cairo and it was in the middle of Connemara. So if you had a house party, there was a hundred people going to your house party and there was, <laughs> there was nothing you could do about it. So that was where I started like performing to people in those house parties. And that's where I slowly started to get into the kind of the more electronic stuff. And then I discovered the amazing Galway DJ and house scene in places like the Blue Note and stuff like that. But all of through through this mm. part of your, the story, yeah, is the trad music somehow going along with you for the ride? Absolutely, I'm pushing away against it as okay. much as I possibly can. Like at that age, I was like pushing back against it the whole time, and like I was rolling along and like doing all this kind of music and stuff. But I kind of wasn't really thinking about it at all as a, as a kind of a traditional thing. And I was, I think, like most young people at that age and around your kind of early 20s I was like pushing away from where I was from pushing away from the culture that I grew up in and stuff like that yeah I did that for years and like I was kind of you know I did I did two TV talent shows and then I signed a major record deal and uh, the record deal was kind of a bit of a disaster because I was trying to sound like everybody else outside Mm. of Ireland as much as I could. And yeah, and the turning point was then Mary Keane's that brought me back to who I am, I think, you know. Well, well, let's rewind here. Yeah, (laughs) I'm jumping forward. Well, you skip right (laughs) over the the talent shows. Um, So sort of famously in your story, Mm -hmm. you know, um, people... I guess, outside of your own social circle, got to know you through the All-Ireland Talent Show, which was like an Irish version of X Factor or something at the time. And I I went back and looked at it on YouTube, and it's actually fucking adorable. It is, Um, yeah, yeah. First of all, you look (laughs) so young. So young. When Fiddler Dahi Odroni auditioned in Galway back in the autumn, he didn't expect his innovative style to take him all the way to the grand final. They were just going for the crack, like, kind of wasn't sure if I was what they'd be looking for. It's fantastic, it's unbelievable. You are going to be representing the West of Ireland in the All-Ireland Talent Show. 
I got through to the final five. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Like, got you're, the, you're a kid. The, 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 like, kind of the bowl haircut and yeah. everything like that on the side. Yeah, you're innocent. It was great. so fresh-faced and just so <laughs> eager about it yeah. all. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, they do those little inserts, you know. The story. The story, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you do your bit on the stage and everything. And and even they are so adorable. Your grandfather features heavily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, yeah. that was the angle, you know. In, yeah. In the talent show, that was the real angle that I was, like, coming from traditional Irish background. Yeah. And this is the big And push, he's you know? so, like, proud of you in it. Yeah. Or, you know, he says at one point something like, um... I'm so lucky to have a grandson like Dahi or something. Yeah, that's like amazing. Like he's so into it all. Yeah. And, and it constantly cuts away to him in the audience during your thing. Yeah. I have to say, it's great to have a grandson like Dahi to be a grandfather. Something special. He was like, like center place in the yeah, crowd. <laughs> it's very adorable. But now, so you, but you, you almost accidentally ended up in that right yeah yeah like i mean so i was doing i was doing journalism in school pretty much and we were kind of big into tv and how the cameras worked and everything and we got an email in the school saying like oh there's going to be this like kind of audition thing in nuig for this new rte show and if you want to see like how a real tv crew works like it would be really good to enter this because you get to see them or whatever so myself and like three other friends from that college course went in and uh, I kind of entered and it was over like the course of a weekend and I started getting through the kind of the ranks of the people. I started getting a bit serious because I was like, okay, actually there's something like actually happening here. Yeah. And I remember, I remember calling, I worked as a tour guide in the LWE Caves at that time. Oh my God, you're, you're, you're just, you're like cliche here. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the kid from Bally Vaughan yeah, is yeah, the actual yeah. tour guide in the LWE Caves. Yeah. We loved the LWE Caves. Oh man, it was amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. We, we, and it was, it was such a well-paying job because it was like there was tips at the end of the, the tour and I was a young Irish fella and you'd ham up the Irish accent really heavily and you get a load of Americans in through and it'd be brilliant to be great but then I remember having to call the cave at like on the Sunday kind of going like call the cave uh, yeah I had to call the cave yeah yeah and uh, yeah and I had to tell them that, that I was like this is I think I think I'm actually getting through something here and then they're like okay cool you're into these like semi-finals and the, the thing that people kind of don't really realise about the All Ireland Talent Show was that it was like a hybrid of like a talent show of like a political campaign and they had split everybody up into the sections of Ireland, right? So like you had to like kind of mobilize your side of the of Ireland and they had this like real like almost like a county kind of GAA that, right, that, vibe yes, to it, yeah. you know what I mean? And I remember I was going to like... Representing the West. Representing the West and representing yeah. Clare and everything and you had to go... And like I was doing, like my mother was driving me to secondary schools and I would like play in the secondary schools and like kind of go, I need your vote on Sunday or whatever like that and do that whole thing. It really had absolutely nothing to do with the music. You know what I mean? Like it's to do with the performance, the story, getting people mobilized and and that was the thing. So yeah, it was wild. That it was kind of an accidental entry to it. Yeah, like I had never planned to do music as a thing and that was the first time that I was kind of like maybe I could do music as like one of the things that I would want to do. It actually reminds me because you know when I was in college, Mm. I was in art college, I was in the sort of design side Yeah, and then there was the TV and film people also and we once a year we would collaborate with our equivalents in the TV and film. Amazing. And we would do the film these puppet shows like make our own tv puppet shows okay cool we would design the puppets and make them and then the tv people you know students would would film them mm-hmm. whatever. and then one year rte came and said we need some puppets for a thing is there anybody here? and two guys who were in the year above me said oh well we've just done the, we'll do it and who did they end up being 
Siegen Sai. Oh my God. Yes, wow. So they so there you go. were like leaving after lunch every day to go and be Siegen Yeah. And, and like you do fall into yeah. those yeah. things as well, especially in college where you're kind of just rattling through and kind of saying yes to everything and messing yeah. around, you know? It was it was quite funny because I hadn't really played any live shows on a, on a stage. Do you know what I mean? So you had not really done the looping either. Just in those about doing the looping. Doing the looping. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty, pretty the looping. close. <laughs> you had been doing the looping. You hadn't been using your your um this yeah what was new technology to you at the time. You hadn't done it live in front for people until no. you did enter. The yeah, house. yeah. I mean, I had just been doing it in the house parties in in the college, and like that was in my first year in college. And then you were put onto this like full on TV stage, and it was like giant. It was huge. And then I came out of it afterwards, and I kind of. I did that one and then I did a, a show called Must Be The Music, which was like a Sky One version in the UK. And that one was insane on a scale that like was just absolutely crazy. And I got to the like the final of that was basically like, you know, they had one person from Scotland and one person from Ireland and one person from England. And like that one was wild because it was kind of supposed to be against the X Factor where everybody was writing their own original music instead of doing covers oh, right. and stuff. Okay. But the big thing was and their big kind of twist was that they were like, OK, well, when you perform that track on that night we will put your track up on iTunes and people can buy it on the night. I got to number six in the UK charts like the first day I did it and like no label and all the money like so it was actually the basis point of me being able to do music full time you kind of get what you what you get out of those shows you know what I mean and it's a 100% not a basis to make a music career and that was you learn that really the hard way when you come out of it because it's like I remember I had up on my MySpace page I was like I will play any gig just give me any gig at all and then I got lucky where I met the the owner and promoter of the Roasting Dove uh, Googie and I kind of told him that I wanted to play music a lot. <laughs> and he put me upstairs in the Roasting Dove every Wednesday for like two or three months. And like I was just playing improv, looped sets with the violin for two to three hours and literally just learned, learned, learned how to play in front of an audience. Mm. And that's where I kind of then started like doing music kind of full time, yeah. you know. So, um, Go back a little bit to your mm-hmm. granddad who's, yeah. you know, the breakout star of the All-Ireland Talent Show um, because he's, he, he died just recently. Yeah, yeah. He, he died he died last year and it was it was quite sad because, you know, it was during the middle of one of those kind of really intense lockdowns and for my money it would have been like almost like a state funeral kind of thing. Like, you know, he had he had so many connections between all the kind of the Irish traditional scene and everything and even as you said in that intro, like I played with Martin Hayes in Dubai and like every single traditional musician who was there would come up and kind of go, I met Chris at this and I met Chris at this and they all had these like amazing stories about him and he had more of a social life than I did. He was like traveling to like Boston to play in all these places and he used to get, he used to play on these cruises. They'd invite him onto a cruise and then he'd play for the entire cruise and then he'd come back and stuff. He started a Kayleigh band called the Four Chords Kayleigh Band. They were really well known. And yeah, he, he, he was a really amazing musician, like really, really incredible. 
And it's interesting because, um, you know, he being so steeped in tradition mm-hmm. and everything, and then it's even interesting watching him, watching you on the All-Ireland Towns show, so proud and all. And yet he's kind of like looking across, you know, these cultural, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, expanses between what he's doing and what we, you were doing on stage yeah. in front of those people. Did he really appreciate what you were doing, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was it was quite interesting. So, like, my, my grandfather would be known in the traditional world as being, like, really down the line in terms of traditional music. Like, he, he really stays steady. There's no, like, in his playing, his style of playing is kind of like there's a special playing from that part of Clare where it's like there's no, like, kind of fanciness to it at all. It's straight down the line. It's not too fast. It's like this really set style of playing. So even in the traditional world, he would be quite like lined in a very kind of conservative mm. level of traditional music. So I was super nervous. Like like showing it to him was like a really kind of a weird thing for me. I had to like bring him into the bedroom in my house and show him. It's like, here's the loop station and here's the violin. It's plugged into this thing. And then I played it for him and I was super nervous that he kind of wasn't going to take it at all. But uh, I think that the blessing about it was that I was actually at that stage so far removed from traditional music that I wasn't sullying traditional music in any way by kind of trying to inject all this stuff. And at this stage, like I kind of completely agree with them. You know, traditional music is so, so beautiful. But if you start trying to mess with it too much, suddenly you've kind of ruined the beauty of the traditional music. So it's a thing that I'm super conscious about when using any type of traditional Irish music music in, in my own music as well. It's like there's a certain tradition there that if you mess with it too much, you take away the power that it has, you know. Mm. So I read a quote from you, I don't know how old it is, talking about your own fiddle playing and saying that, you know, you weren't a great, you know, master player, but really what was good about yours was really the energy you were thrown into it. 100%, and yeah. You, you still feel that way. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be an, a, a very, very good violin player or a good fiddle player. Like, you know, I, I just wouldn't have the kind of, I don't know, I, like a traditional Irish musician who plays fiddle is like, it's such a vocation and you sit down and you do hours every day of just the violin and nothing else and you concentrate mm-hmm. on that. Whereas with me, I'm kind of, I have a much more technical mind. I'm more of like a, a music producer and a performer rather than just a set musician who plays the fiddle, you know? So yeah. for me, the thing about the violin that is strong in my own music is basically, you know, I'm playing live and you pick it up and you, you pull the bow across the whole thing and it has this like powerful effect on an audience. see this very physical instrument coming through the electronic music and the power of a violin is that is that when you play it with a bow or you play it with a pluck it's so expressive that like you can really pull emotions out of a, an instrument like that very very well and that's what makes it so powerful because you can move that bow along the string seven different ways and it would denote seven different emotions the whole way through and you get to feed off a crowd and then you pull it and then it's like you're feeding off that crowd and the cycle starts you know so mm. that's what's really special about the violin in this this electronic stuff i think you know mm. so yeah um i want to talk to you about um the song where your granny ended up mm-hmm. going viral and for people who are already familiar with that i mean we can hear um parts of it now but uh, 
for people who are familiar with, they will probably be assuming that the grandfather we're talking about is the same husband that uh, <laughs> yeah, your grandmother's yeah. talking But that's actually not true. That's, that's not the case, yeah. Family. And my grandmother on the underside, Margaret, gets it all the time. Apparently people go up, it's like, geez, you don't sound a bit like you do on, on, the, on the track. <laughs> yeah, so Mary Keane is my mother's mother. And she lived on the other side of Ballyvahan in a in attached cottage in a valley. Uh, her house kind of place was called uh, Lismactaig. My mother's mother, she's, she actually also passed away recently as well. She actually passed just before the pandemic, so she didn't actually experience the pandemic at all, which kind of is a bit of a blessing, I think. But she... But I think she, it's lovely, by the way, that both of them, yeah. the, the grandfather from your dad's side and the, your mm-hmm. grandmother that we were talking about, that they both got to see you succeed. And yeah, I mean, your yeah. grandfather got to see that you've become... You know, for sure, accomplished musician in your own right and had success. And your grandmother, of course, got to enjoy becoming um, a hit maker herself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially with Mary Keane, you know, she was she lived up in a cottage. She was very much involved in the valley that she was from and Ballyvahan. And like that was about it. And like when the track came out and it started going really kind of crazy, there was like a moment where like, you know, Ryan Tuberty was contacting someone to, to have her like on the radio show or on the Late Late and stuff. And I was trying to explain to her, like... Who Ryan Turbidy Who Ryan Turbidy Yeah. <laughs> and just even, like, the internet. I was like, you know, you have to explain to somebody, it's like, it's really, really big on the internet and stuff. She was like, okay, cool, cool. And she was like, has it been playing on Claire FM yet? And I, I, I was like, I was like, uh, no, I don't, I don't think it has. And she was like, all right, okay, cool. Well, tell me when it's been played on Claire FM because obviously she could just show off to her friends then that it was yeah. like on Claire FM. So I had to go to Claire FM and go like, look, I know you don't usually do this, but would you do an interview with me for this thing? It's kind of blowing up or whatever. And then like it did, it and I was like, okay, I'm going to be on now in two seconds or whatever. Just after the dead, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she and I and then I was like, also try. I was going like, I was like, oh, like how am I going to explain to her the splits and like how you know what I mean? Like how do I? she is owed 50% of this track and everything. And I was like, so like, how would I even <laughs> pay you into this thing? And she was like, oh, you know, all I want is a great grandson or a great granddaughter. <laughs> I, like, I was like, oh God. Like, oh. So yeah, that was always her pull. But, uh, but yeah, so there you Well, go. I mean, anybody who's her, who hears that song will sort of immediately fall in love with her. There was an awful lot of uh, people on the run, they used to call it here. How many people slipped in our mountain up here every night? All, of them, all around our valley slipped up the side of the mountain. <laughs> there, there was about ten young fellas all up about that the mountain there. About she has a great people. turn of phrase. She does. She has a great classic accent. Mm-hmm. Um, she has that heartiest but also dirtiest little laugh yeah 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 um and you you mentioned that she lives in the thatch cottage in the side of the valley um mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts you know is her describing the the valley and talking about her valley and living yeah. in the valley and and about you know young fellas on the run going up the side of the mountain to hide you yeah, know like yeah yeah she speaks about the landscape in a way that I just don't think people speak about the landscape anymore. Right. The sense of place is pretty rare for people my age anyway, where it's kind of like, you know, you're not tied to any one place because you're kind of on the internet all the time, say. Yeah. Whereas like my grandmother was like her entire being, her entire world was this one valley and everybody in it. And like that idea and that sense of identity is kind of lost on us, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we... we have formed our sense of place and identity through a, right, a, a yeah. just different avenues. I mean, 100%. It's, there's something very 
I don't know, refreshing now mm. to hear somebody really place themselves on planet Earth based on the actual rocks that are around her. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have I have a minimal amount of appreciation for that now as well myself because I'm kind of, I've started coming back to Ballyvahan a lot more now since before the lockdown. And, and like, if you had told me at like 22, 23, oh, you're going to really enjoy being back in Ballyvahan, like I would have told you you were nuts. Like, yeah. And just the idea of you start getting older and you start seeing the stuff that like, other people are there and why you would appreciate places like that. Mm. And then you start getting like a kind of a, quite a strong like pride of the village and like it's more outward facing. It's like, what can you do to help bring this place up? And mm. I see it in, in people my age all over the place, you know, like Connolly's of Lepp, for instance, down in West Cork is the same thing where, you know, there's a fantastic scene in Burr where these people have come back and are like breathing new life into these areas. It's one of my favorite things that's happening in the West of Ireland is that people are coming back to their areas mm. and kind of taking ownership of them a little bit more, you know, which is great. And also, in particular, the part of the West of Ireland that you are has this sort of clash of old and new because it still has the great sort of musical trad mm. traditions. People are drawn to the area for that. Other trad musicians end up moving there specifically for that. And then at the same time, there's this whole other, a new culture based around surfing and the, yeah, all yeah, of yeah, that, yeah. cheek by jowl, like... um. It's kind of reinvigorated yeah. the whole area. When I was there, when I was younger, it was kind of, I wasn't really aware of it. But now coming back, you start seeing where there's like, you know, there's like a farming local level, which is like one line. And they completely would have nothing to do with like yeah. surfers. The, the guys were open coffee shops and everything. Mm. But they're all in the same kind of area. They're all in the same kind of melting pot. And like, that's what makes a really, really special kind of area. In, like in that, a weird you know? way, I think you, you personally very much kind of represent that whole new version. Great, yeah. (laughs) But because you are steeped in this tradition Mm. and all of that, yet rather than bringing surfing in, you're bringing electronic music into it at all. It it doesn't surprise me that you're very at home there now. Yeah. Again, as we're saying about Mary Keane, you know, there's like this kind of sense of identity that like I have a, a fierce pride of where I'm kind of from, you know what I mean? And for me, I mean, my entire career has been built around this idea of like, where I'm from makes the music unique and it's an incredibly easy way to make your music different to everybody else's mm. because you take samples and sounds that nobody else could take because they're your own yeah. and like putting them into your music and it sets you apart from everybody else, which is a big thing. And, you know? and so let's go back to Mary now. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I, I've seen a picture of her cottage and everything. Yes. And like, if you were a Mr. Hollywood producer who wanted to, you know, make a movie in the West of Ireland, you'd go to Mary's house yeah. and you'd use it as a location in Mary's Valley. Yeah, yeah, Mary's yeah. Patrick. <laughs> like it couldn't be more perfectly. Yeah, I, know, I, I used it as official. I used it as the artwork for the for the track yeah. as well. So if anybody needs to see it, it's like if you go onto Spotify and give me an old zero point zero eight cent, you can have a <laughs> listen to it. But it's like, yeah, it's a perfect thatched cottage, which is like it was been thatched by my uncles for years, and uh, it's an amazing. Spot. like it's great yeah. yeah and so tell me the actual story of how that track happened because yeah your source material is this interview mm-hmm. and i think i along with i guess most people who listen to it assumed lazily that 
you had gone and done the interview, but that isn't actually... Yeah, no, I, I, I wish I had done it. So basically, I was helping her clean her house <laughs> one weekend and uh, she had one of these amazing dressers. You know those dressers in the old houses yeah. with like the cups are hung yeah, along yeah, the side yeah, yeah. and there's every single Highly sought possible... After nowadays, seriously but... sought after. And this one's amazing. She's still in the house, but uh, it, like it had loads of stuff underneath and in one of the drawers in it, there was just like a, a CD, blank CD in a case with just her name written on it. And I was like, like I was like, what is this? It was in amongst like, you know, Danny O'Donnell and all the other stuff as well. And uh, she was like, oh, that was like an interview that I did with this lady. She was doing a radio show where she was interviewing one person from every county, one older person to kind of talk about what life was growing up. And apparently the interview is amazing because my auntie was there when she, when she was actually doing the interview. And uh my auntie was there with my grandmother because my grandmother could say anything on an interview. Like she could say anything. So she was like, my, my auntie was super nervous about like kind of just letting her let loose, you know. And uh, she would start saying something and apparently my, my auntie would kind of interrupt her and kind of go like, you know, that's not true. Like that's not actually a thing that happened. And then the, the interviewer very smartly went like, okay, you don't say anything anymore now. You just let Mary Keane talk or whatever. So the interview is like two hours long. It covers like all of these wild different things about kind of growing up in Clare when she was really young and and what that was like. And my grandmother wasn't somebody who would be in the house all the time. She was very much like a farmer. She would like be out of the house all the time farming, farming, farming. That was what she was really into. So she was a really active woman. She was like the main farmer in the family. And it was all of these different things. And then... Uh, she talked about kind of growing up and everything. She talks about raising chickens as well. All of these really weird kind of farming stuff. And she talks about a gay cock. She talks about a gay cock as well. She does. And uh, she she pulls down all these things. And then I kind of like lifted the CD out of her dresser. And I was like, I need to listen to this. And I was like driving back in my car with it in the CD. And then like this part comes over where she kind of talks about where she met my grandfather. And it, it was just like this amazing moment listening to it in my car because it was just so honest all the time when you'd be at home, uh, your father and they'd be always looking for a good man for you, you know. Of course, I didn't ever expect to get someone only somewhere I fell in love with. You can hear her voice crack in a certain point of it. It's just such an incredible sample because you could, you just could never get like a, nobody could perform it. Yeah. It was a natural, she was actually speaking from the heart and it didn't even matter that there was a microphone in front of her, you know. It's also, um, it's delivered in a way beautifully sparsely mm -hmm. in a way. So like when she says the line that everybody remembers. Yeah. And my father would come and my uncle would come and he'd say, Mary, this man over in Karen has a big farm of land. You'll, you'll have to go over and meet. So no, I didn't. I met my future husband down in Kilfenora and I fell in love with him. You I know, met my husband in Kilfenora, yeah, yeah. In Kilfenora, and I fell in love with him. You know, an actor, no matter how good they are, would somehow embellish that last time yeah, I fell yeah. in love with him. There'd be some flourish to it. And she doesn't. She just says it. Yes. Yeah. Solid fact. And it's so stark. And the one of the things that, that really amazes me about it as well, and I don't know what, what this is like for the rest of the country, but I always feel like in Clare, saying you fell in love with somebody is <laughs> like, it's like so like, there's so much emotion on show there that like, yeah. is totally not how we would say yeah. it. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you find any possible way not to say that and say something else like, oh yeah, I went away with him or like, you know, you'd yeah. say something that just totally isn't, I fell in love with somebody. Yeah. It's so honest 
and so open. And I think, yeah, that's one of the main reasons as well why it's like so, so strong. And I think it really struck a chord with people because it was, first of all, the Irish accent. You like, I mean, you don't hear that type of accent in any types of songs. When it started blowing up and stuff, there was a lot of people who wanted to interview my grandmother and wanted to kind of put her on TV shows and stuff. But we made a very kind of a conscious decision that I, I didn't want to actually show her face anywhere because I felt like every single person who listened to it is picking their own grandmother or their own grandparents and, and like planting their grandparent on it instead of your own. Mm. So not having the face out there doesn't put a face to the name and suddenly you can plant any imagination of who, who you put yeah. in there, you know? And I think the only image that you ever see of her is in the actual music video. I just have her hands and nothing else. So you don't see anything else but her hands and that's the only public picture of my grandmother that's out mm. there you know which is uh it was very important to me and i think it really kind of stands to the track as well you know so and so when you're listening in the car and she sort of gets to that part are you immediately like that's the goal right there and i'm going to do something with that yeah, absolutely i kind of shortened the narrative from two hours to yeah. <laughs> however long it yeah. short it is and uh yeah i remember being in my house in galway and just writing the chords as this kind of like hopeful kind of thing and then just locking in and over the top and then doing the, the drop and yeah, it just it just worked so well. So no, I didn't. I met my future husband down to Fenora. And I fell in love with him. I didn't really do a huge amount of an iteration. And at the time, you know, like I had just left a major label and I was kind of, I had been doing these like three and a half minute pop songs kind of things mm. because I thought that that was the only way you could get on radio or anything. And uh, I mean, that song is like five minutes long and like trying to, <laughs> I, was, I was like, there's no way this is a single. This is like, it, it's just way too long. And there's like a woman talking for the first like half or whatever. And then we put it up and it, it's like the biggest radio play that I've ever gotten. And my father had come and my uncle had come and he said, Mary, this man over in Karen has a big farm of land. You'll, you'll have to go over and It was just such a kind of a, a lesson for me where I was just kind of like, stop worrying kind of what other people think you kind of run with what you're creating and whatever happens happens and if people like it they like it and and yeah. that was a big lesson for me you know so yeah and um i know obviously she she got to be on KRFM but she did did she really understand that it was an actual hit and that people were out there listening to her story and apparently a lot of her friends had said that their grandkids had told them about it but like again, like it really didn't matter to her how big it was, as long as I was doing grand and doing okay yeah. and and still doing music. That was a big thing for her. So yeah, I don't really know if she if she realized the scale of it. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, <laughs> like in her world, it probably isn't yeah, the biggest because, thing in the world. You know, yeah, so, there was bigger things in the valley. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And there's a beauty to that as well. I think you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is, as you said, everybody can transfer their own grandmother or whatever yeah. onto her in a way even though the accent might be different or something mm -hmm. there is this essence of yeah for yeah. sure and and her, her laugh is gorgeous it is it's a, it's really really amazing and it's honest and like you know there's no 
she's not pretending to be somebody else. Like, you know, she's yeah. really, really having the crack. So, yeah, she's yeah. A, she was a brilliant woman. Yeah. Well, God bless mm. Mary Keane. <laughs> well, you're going to do a song for us here in the studio. I am, yeah. I'm going to do a track called The Irish Goodbye, written just at the start of the lockdown. When the lockdown came down, I was in Vietnam. I was doing a gig in Vietnam. I was supposed to be playing on St. Patrick's Day to 2,000 people <laughs> in Ho Chi Minh City. And uh, I went over and... Uh, at that time, there was three cases in Clare and there was no cases in Vietnam. So I was like, yeah, it'll be grand. I'll go over to Vietnam. It'll be fine. Yeah. Like, yeah, if there's cases over here, then it'll be fine. And at the time, we didn't even realize what was going on. They had to cancel the gig. The promoters who were like a camogie team in Ho Chi Minh City and a couple of other business people had lost a ton of money on this gig. So I said I'd play like a smaller gig in a bar a little bit beforehand, like two or three days before. So I had like rescheduled my flights, played the gig. Uh, it was packed out full of Irish people <laughs> and uh, I got into a taxi and as the gig finished, uh, the government in Vietnam decided to shut down everything in Vietnam mm. and with the type of government that it is, the army came out and started shutting down all of the shops and the bars one by one by one and I was in a taxi as they were like, the army was out shutting down all the stuff, got to the flight. Shutting down everything right there. And Every there. single thing, yeah, Could yeah, yeah. You can get a balloon of nitrous oxide. <laughs> I've been to Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh City, and it is a lot more fun than you would imagine. It is. It's a lot but of fun. the weirdness of you're in a nightclub or whatever, and they're like wandering around selling Steel. balloons of yeah. nitrous oxide <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. people are just like inhaling, you know. And it's nuts. Around, like, yeah. like, what is yeah. that? And there's a big Irish community there and everything as well. Yes, I met Irish and people when I was the, there. The whole, place, the whole place was shutting down, and I got into the airport, and uh, I was the last flight out, last flight out of Saigon. And uh, all the American flights had, had cancelled and there was all these Americans freaking out. And if I hadn't gotten that flight, like, I would have been there for two or three months, you know. But I had done all these Worst recordings. Worst, well, true. But everything would have been closed, oh, you know. Right, so yeah. it would have been no joke, I think. Yeah. Uh, I had been recording all these kind of stuff while I was there with this little kind of hand recorder that I had. And when I got home, I decided because we were in lockdown, there was nothing else to do. And it was that moment where I think a lot of creative people were kind of going like, what the hell do I do now? How do I do this thing? So I did like a live stream over the course of like two or three days and uh, wrote this song called Irish Goodbye. And it was, it was kind of interesting because it was like, you know, I was doing it in front of a whole pile of people who were experiencing the same thing I was and everybody was kind of hanging out in this live stream. The song kind of turned out quite kind of, there's a kind of a cool, kind of a, a melancholy happiness kind of thing going on, which I really liked. So that's what Irish Goodbye is. Yeah. And I assume that the title is a reference to what Americans call an Irish goodbye, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Americans refer to an Irish goodbye to being, you know, you're at a party and you don't say goodbye. Yeah, you, you just, just leave. slip out and disappear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they think it's rude. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm like, I always do an Irish goodbye at a party it's, and it's... It makes sense to me, and I think maybe it makes sense in in Ireland more because you get stuck. Yeah, if you start saying goodbye to everyone, you're there for another hour. You have to say 100%. goodbye to everybody, and they all want, and then they will all just ah, have one more. Yeah, ask yeah, yeah. everyone, ah, you'll have another. Ah, you will, you will. All that stuff at five or six o'clock in the morning at, at an after party, like it's vital. It's, yeah, it's an absolutely vital act that you're like kind of leaving without telling anybody and just disappearing into the ether. And it's it's got a nice kind of mysterious feel to it as yeah, well. I think I'm you know. Into it. Um, well, let's have our um, you know, Irish goodbye.
That was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. You're one of these people also who I, I kind of hate <laughs> um, because you had a very productive lockdown. Um, I I did, but yeah. I will say in a way that um, you were kind of lucky that you had a project that was outside of your mm -hmm. normal stuff that was also creative. And tell me about the Beekeeper's Retreat. Yeah, so uh, after I spent about like two or three weeks in the first lockdown in Dublin and I started realizing that it was going to get very quiet in Dublin. So I said that I would go back to Clare when I could. And I had always wanted to do this thing when I was older. <laughs> I write all of my music not in studios. I write it, I rent somewhere in the west of Ireland, bring all my gear to a, a singular place and just work on music. And I kind of always thought that there should be a dedicated place that somebody can do that. So instead of a music studio, you have a kind of almost like an artist retreat thing where you can go and just create completely on your own with no distractions and have the entire thing to yourself. And I had always wanted to do that. And the the lockdown kind of brought the whole thing forward. So myself and my, my family were given a kind of a chance to take on this house that was this amazingly gorgeous, incredible house, very, very close to where my parents live in Balivan. It's an absolutely gorgeous house and it had been not lived in for quite some time. So it needed a bit of TLC. So I spent most of the lockdown doing the DIY of building back up this house and kind of you know, Are you a DIY guy generally? Uh, I would be kind of DIY. I'm a lot more DIY now after taking on this like and you stuff. Could, you could plaster a wall. Or yeah, there's a toolbox in the car now. Okay. Like that's the real, that's my identity now, you know. But yeah, and like, you know, I mean, I guess it's the same as, as the bar, right? I mean, it's kind of, suddenly it was this thing where it was like, okay, this is amazing. It's like a kind of a, a thing that I can do with my family as well, who are kind of there, you know, kind of connected much more with my family. You know, my auntie runs a B&B, &B, so she has these big sheet cleaning machines. So she cleans the sheets and we do the turnovers with my mother and, you know, any of the kind of the, the bigger stuff of my dad helps me with. And so it was a real kind of a family thing. And, and I did it with my partner, Norma, and we, we lived in the house for whatever the six months it took to, to build it back up. And it was just a really, really nice time. And I was kind of, because music wasn't really happening at that stage, I felt a bit useless. You know, you'd spent 10 years working on this craft that you couldn't do anymore. And you feel like you're kind of, well, what good am I, you know? And then you could kind of go out and you could do gardening for a couple of hours and you'd know that you'd done something useful with yourself. Yeah. And now Beekeepers has become this really amazing artist retreat where we're in our second year now. It's It's been kind of booked out solidly throughout the year. The general idea is if you're if you're a musician, you 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 would spend, let's say you spend 300 euro for a day in a studio, you could spend that and do two or three nights in, in the Beekeepers instead, you know. So it's, it's an affordable way to go get out of your apartment or wherever you're staying, be completely on your own or be there with your band right completely in a beautiful location and uh, really experience Balivan in, in a great way, you know. So, yeah, it's been fantastic. It's been great. And it's not just musicians you've been using, right? Yeah, writers, um, script writers. My, my partner Norma's in uh, film, so we get a lot of those type of people as well. Um, those type. Those of type. <laughs> you, know, you know those type of people. Uh, but we get lots of script writers and we get all sorts and, and even painters and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, I, I read a brief you know, list of various people who've been there and mm -hmm. recognised quite a few from our Great. podcast guests. <laughs> yes, yeah. Past. Nilo was there actually and Nilo, is going back again pretty uh, soon. Elaine Saint has worked sister. there. Saint Sister has worked there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Whole gang. Seems Alvaredi was, was, was down with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so there's plenty of people going down and it's um it's been going really well. Yeah. 
And um, you are, are now living there mm-hmm. full time. At Pretty the much, yeah. Lock time, you were living in Dublin. So I'm I'm still kind of in both worlds, to be honest. I do that two and a half hour drive. Plenty, plenty, plenty. But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that when when we started doing beekeepers, I'd be like, oh, this would be great. Now I'll have like two weeks in a month that I'll be able to like kind of live there and work and stuff. But it's it's filled with artists now, so yeah. I'm renting another place and and I'm kind of out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna build a proper studio in Ballyvaughan. And this change has kind of slowly been happening over the last say year or so. I'm kind of more and more going out that way, more and more. Yeah, look, it's just it's just a really amazing place to write and it's a really great place to kind of create music. Well, speaking of places and all, um, mm. talk to me about the new album, in particular, this song and video, Familial. question so yeah so so uh familial is a kind of a an audio visual kind of a music paired with a video that was filmed in in new zealand it was directed and kind of created by a woman called isla amano who is this incredible director who who now lives in ireland but the way i met her was that one of my very good friends brendan canty is her fiance and he was living in New York and she was living in Canada and she was planning to go to visit Ireland for the first time and kind of stay there for a while. And Brendan was planning on coming back. So they set their hinge dating profiles to Ireland, both of them. <laughs> and they matched from Canada and from America. And then... Okay, so, okay, so they weren't a couple yet. Yeah, they weren't a couple yet. Okay. They matched while she was in Canada and he was in America on this dating website. Even and though then, both of them were in Ireland only virtually. Only virtually, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And then they got on like a house on fire and then she came to Ireland he came to Ireland and they were a year here and then he was going to go meet the parents in New Zealand. So he flew to New Zealand. They were going to stay in New Zealand for three months and meet the parents. And uh, Brendan and Isla uh, found out in the quarantine in New Zealand that they were pregnant. So baby Hazel is was born, <laughs> but he stayed in New Zealand for like nine months or like almost a year, I guess. Uh, and like Brendan would be one of my best friends and Isla, like I know very well now. And uh, they, uh, Brendan and Isla found themselves living in New Zealand for this like year to cook this baby. This whole story is... It's wild. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, and so she had planned to do a music video for me in Ireland and, I, and we were we were hoping to do this kind of... I'm kind of very interested in kind of how like, you know, how males in the west of Ireland uh, kind of interact with each other and there's a kind of a beauty in how, as we were saying before, you know, they never say what they're really going to mean and there's no kind of like showing your kind of emotions, which is like a blessing and a curse. I think there's like a poetic beauty to it that's also frustrating at times. But uh, but she found that there was a massive link, and I think it would only take somebody from the outside to actually see this stuff, that there was a massive link between how people in the country talk to each other and how uh, people in the Pacifica communities in, in New Zealand talk to each other. So she was like, we should do the video in New Zealand with the Pacifica communities. I met all these amazing people who are going to do this. And uh, she made this absolutely incredible, gorgeous video over in New Zealand. The thing that excites me about it most is that you can see all these links. They're like they're extremely religious as well, and you know they have this like long history of religion and stuff as well. And and you can see all these links, but it's so completely removed from my own 
culture, but you can find all these links. And, and that's the thing that's been really exciting to me. And it's kind of one of the main basis of the album as well, is this idea where it's like looking at other parts of the world and finding connections between the Irish and, and, and abroad and stuff, you know, so. Yeah, so for listeners, they should definitely check it out. It is a mm. film, familial, familial, familial. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that'll come up. It'll come up, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can check it on YouTube. But but so the, the bigger project here is all about taking, you know, your pieces and mm-hmm. and then matching them with filmmakers. Yeah, that- for sure. I, I mean, I've kind of always really, really loved the visual side of stuff as well. It's It's been a really big push. We've, we've done a good few videos uh, that are based around kind of Claire and stuff like that as well. But for me, I'm doing a lot more score work as well and stuff like that. So the visual thing is this kind of amazing way where if you mix it with music, you get like a kind of a a fully 360 piece of art that you can kind of really stand behind. And mm. there's a huge amount of effort that goes into it. It's it's extremely difficult. <laughs> like making music videos is so hard. Like it's like really, really difficult. But when you do it, you can kind of stand behind something. And it's one of the only times that I've really found that like if I write a piece of music and put it to a piece of video, it's the, it's the only time where the pride of the piece stays with me throughout and never fades kind of thing like I'm always massively proud of that stuff and as well it's another really good way to kind of collaborate with a broad range of artists and stuff as well you know so yeah because you are very collaborative and Mm. you get off on all of that yes Um, and in a way I feel like obviously people have collaborated throughout history that's not new but there is something about you know younger artists and all of that nowadays and and we've met a lot of them on here. People mm. like you, the X Collective. Do you know the X yes, Collective? Yes, yeah, absolutely. People like that, where it's all interdisciplinary. People who've taught themselves how to video edit because mm-hmm. it, they kind of have to to use their socials. And yeah, it's just like it's a younger people are less afraid to just cross or learn something new, learn a new thing by you know, learn, watching a YouTube video that teaches you how to do something. Hundred percent, and then using that, and then you know, working with other people who've also self-taught themselves things and and it becoming this sort of interesting new yeah. mash. Absolutely. And you're really yeah. into that. Yeah, for sure. Like, and even down to that YouTube thing, you're bang on. Like, I, I kind of, I never went to college for music. I, I, I can't read sheet music or anything like that. And pretty much, I would say, 80% of what I've learned in terms of mixing music and writing and stuff has all come from YouTube videos. Yeah. And, you know, like kind of, I don't know, there's a kind of a grim <laughs> a grim side to it where like I've learned how to Photoshop and I've learned how to like edit video and stuff like that because it's keeping the costs low. <laughs> so oh, like, listen, so, even <laughs> old granny here has been like in the beginning yeah. of lockdown, I, you know, spent hours and hours and hours and hours, yeah. you know, learning how to video edit and do green screen and all of that. Yeah. Uh, there's one other thing I really going to have to talk to you about and that's um, your collaboration um yeah with um paul from paul noonan yeah Yeah. um yeah tell me how that started out yeah so uh the choice awards just before the lockdown uh it was in the like kind of just in march i think before the lockdown happened in 2020 and uh paul was performing with me and uh, at that time, he was like, by the way, I'm kind of working on this like song and I, I might send it to you. And I was like, OK, cool. Then the lockdown happened. And a couple of months later, he was like, hey, man. And he was just kind of checking in to say hello and stuff. And he was like, by the way, here's this kind of track I'm working on. And that track was called Campanero. And uh, 
I started working on it with him, uh, kind of producing it for him kind of thing. And I was kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll produce this track. But how had you gotten connected with him in the first place? The first, so he was on a record of mine uh, called Loss. Um, yes. He, so he did the opening track to it and that was a cold email. I was like a huge Bellix One fan when I was younger and absolutely love everything they've ever done. And uh, I cold emailed him and just went like, hey, Paul, I'm a big fan. I think you'd really suit this track. And uh, he came back and, and wrote something onto it. And like, you know, Paul for me is one of the best songwriters in the country. He has this amazing way of taking like an Irish turn of phrase and turning it into kind of something cool and, and mix it into music. So immediately that would like resonate something with me, you know. And we kind of struck up a friendship just from that track. But I, I didn't really know him that well. And then we did that Campanero track and we were doing it in lockdown. And it was it was like the postal service. I mean, the band postal service, it was like I would do a bit on the track and send him the files. And then he would do a bit on the track and send me back the files. And it started becoming apparent that like it didn't fit in the Paul Noonan school and it didn't fit in the Dahi school. So we started a band called House Mons. And then after the lockdown, we kind of released a record um, called Dry Goods. And uh, we've been playing gigs as a full band uh, for that now. So it's like, you know, proper drummer, bassist and kind of piano player. Sinead is doing piano and vocals and stuff. Paul at the front is a front man. We all wear suits. It's very cool all together. And uh, yeah, it's been brilliant. It's been really, really good. And it, it's, it's, I think it's played a role in myself and Paul's life of this, like, you know, we didn't have a huge amount of social musical outlet during the lockdown. And now we get to like go for a meal together before the gig and everybody hangs out and, you know, yeah. everybody's like having a good time and we, everybody's like having really fun at the gigs and stuff like that. So that's the role I think it's playing in our lives. Like, so it's been lovely. It's been really nice. Um, I love the song, you know, What's With All The Pine. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, what's with all the pine? Yeah, what's with all the pine? It's so quirky and fun. And I was watching the video and it's very cute and all that. <laughs> but also I'm just like, this is a lockdown video. And yeah, oh, I don't ever want to look at another lockdown video. <laughs> I could just tell it's very cute and lovely. Yeah, but yeah, I know yeah. that this was made because you couldn't get together. Yeah, and, and What's With All The Pine is based on, and you'll know this yourself as well, there seems to be some weird thing that has happened to the west of Ireland where every single house has this like orangey pine everywhere and I remember Paul sending that track to me like I had done the beats and he had sent on the lyrics and I was sitting in my parents house with pine everywhere like my, my entire my family's kitchen was all pine and I was like well, fuck you anyway like Jesus but uh, yeah so he nailed it on the head and uh, yeah it's a lovely track yeah yeah <laughs> It is true about the pine, although I think of it as being yellowy, and that's why yeah. it bothers me. I'm just like, it's so... It's like the doors to the floor, yeah. to, the, to the skirting yeah. boards, everywhere. Like, some guy made a killing on pine in, like, the <laughs> 80s and 90s. I don't know. Well, I have a thing about the creeping, um, you know, middle-classization, good taste, and wouldn't that inverted comments <laughs> of, of the countryside is kind of killing it, because, you know, in the old days, every West of Ireland village 
you know, the, the insane color of all the houses and everything. Yeah. Um, and that was because people literally went up to their local paint shop and says, what do you, what have, do you have? Absolutely. What's the cheapest? I'll take the one I find least offensive or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but the overall effect of that was this riot of color and everything. And now everybody's got taste. So now they're all beginning to paint their houses grays and yeah, green. Yeah, the set and, modern colors. And I'm like, no, <laughs> where's the puce? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. The yellow and all yeah, that. Yeah. Oh. I'm a big fan of the Ballyvaughan Cottage. Well, obviously my, you my are, yeah. <laughs> but you, you've got a, you come from a high bar. You're high <laughs> that's bar. true, that's true. But they, we can't all live in that idyllic <laughs> um, it's been absolutely lovely to chat to you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the show. Thank Thanks. You. Did you come all the way up from Ballyvaughan? Uh, I actually came from Rome. I was in oh, Rome. Oh, you came from Rome. I, I yeah, I was. Yeah. I was in Rome. I was in Rome yesterday, so I've, I've come back specially. Yeah. Well, from, <laughs> from glamour to glamour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, I've very much enjoyed our chat. Um, Thank you. And I'm excited to see what comes out of this whole project with videos and all mm. that. And of course, the album. And um, I'll have to uh, get me and my collaborators down to the beekeepers. That would be brilliant. At some point. Anytime. Wreck the guy. <laughs> um, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you.